This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Tom, Richard and Brandy on Wednesday morning, February the 7th. A market-tastic Wednesday morning for it is earnings season. We've had breaking numbers during the show from Dubai Taxi Company, uh, also from Adnoc Distribution. That's the petrol station part of the energy giant. And we've been looking at some reports that Lulu could be shopping for bankers for its IPO. Uh, running that past Mohammed Ali Yassin, who is a veteran market watcher, founder and CEO of the Oracle Financial Consultancy and Investments, to try and gather what an appetite, well, what the appetite even might be like uh, for such a listing, and indeed a dual listing as well for those are uh, the rumours. We've also been looking at Saudi, as we have been all week, uh, a new report on the rise of number of companies looking to go to Saudi and a decrease in the time that it takes them to do so. That's with Alex Nichols, who's head of Inter-KSA at Astrolabs. And in a not unrelated chat, the number's out from WeGo about where we all went at the end of last year. That is a travel booking platform. Mamoun Hamidan is their chief business officer. Uh, spoiler, for the last six months, the top destination every month was Saudi. It is a matter of lines at the moment. It's the preliminary results. There's one paragraph in it under the numbers. Um, purely just giving a revenue increase, 11% year on year. This is the 2023 uh, numbers for Dubai Taxis, one of the UAE's most recent uh, listings in their IPO pipeline. 11% revenue year on year. They say that's uh, basically coming, largely coming from the regular taxi segment. Um, they're putting it down to the positive economic activity in in the UAE and what they're calling enhanced operational utilisation of vehicles. Uh, basically, they've got more drivers, so more of them are uh, are out there. Maybe they're using them more efficiently. I'm guessing their net profit up 54% compared to the previous year. Looking forward to seeing more details around those numbers. Uh, the other one, sort of tapping into uh, all things IP. Should I IPO or should I no IPO? That seems to have been the question around Lulu. But have we got any more clarification on this one or not? So this is a Bloomberg report into Lulu um, reportedly shopping for banks to help it with an IPO. I went back into the archives and discovered that sort of mid- 2022 Bloomberg had always had the exact headline for Lulu as well, that it was looking at bankers um, to help with an IPO. But uh, we were very interested to speak to Mohammed Ali Yassin, who is market watcher. Uh, he's a financial consultancy, investment consultancy, and ask him, what would their market appetite be now for this kind of listing? Well, from what we saw from the last quarter and the last latest IPOs, is, I, is, is there is a positive uh, sentiment with investors to invest and participate in these IPOs. Uh, we've seen that the last one was Pure Health. We've seen here in the UAE, um, and the retail appetite is really as big as the institutional one. Of course, with these IPOs, it's very important what valuation they come to the market uh, to. But I think it's the the idea here. I think also of that being dual listed again between um, Abu Dhabi and uh, Saudi Arabia, Riyadh stock market. If that happens, I think gives us an indication. Uh, two indications: one is they're going to probably the size is going to be bigger, so they don't want to maybe strain either market the liquidity in the market when they do that. Uh, when, when we talk about dual listing in GCC markets, Americana comes to mind, of course, which happened in 2022. Uh, and that was a successful listing. Uh, 
was sold at 262 dirhams, and now it's about 3.01. It's higher than that. So it's it's uh, and and the other thing I think uh, when it comes means that they're going to their areas of business uh, and then strength where they have the consumers because a lot of these IPOs, especially Lulu as a name, you rely that it's a name that is known with with the uh, little investor and the big investor, of course. And I think that is something which means that a lot would like to participate and be part of this uh, IPO. So I think it's the it's it's a, it's a good name. I think the appetite is there. They tested the market with some news about last year, but that did not happen. But it's a, timing is also very important, Brandy, in, in stock markets. When you come to market, how the condition of the market at the time to, um, let's say, to make the environment as, as successful and helpful as possible for these kind of IPOs to appreciate once they're listed. Okay, and let's look at the environment that we've got now. Because if I look at those EY numbers, 2023 actually saw a slight, a single-digit fall in the number of IPOs in the region. Mm-hmm. But the amount they raised was half of what it was the, the year before. What are the market conditions like right now? I think the market conditions are positive. You have to remember um, last year we, ha- we had, I think we like from from May to uh, somewhere in the range of October, we had nothing. And then we got Investcorp in October. And then we got the Dubai taxi. And then we got the Pure Health. Uh, I think there was Phoenix. So uh, it, they, they came in a, in a rush in the last three, four months. I think the appetite is there. The only concern I think we have today in regional markets is the geopolitics. If that tension increases, that is not good usually for a stock market. We are now at the season of dividend distribution season that will probably the money will be received by a lot of the investors those dividends in March, late March, maybe early April. So by that time, that means that they have excess liquidity. And if the IPO is coming around towards the end of the first half, beginning of second half, then I think that's a good time for, for, for them to uh, to use those those uh, and proceeds to invest in this new company, provided, as we always put a caveat there, that the valuation is reasonable and within the market uh, averages uh, when it comes to list. Okay. Uh, we've got two minutes left with you. You've said valuation twice. According to the EY numbers, out of the 48 <laughs> IPOs regionally we saw last year, by the end of the year, only 26, so just after half, had shown a positive return compared to their mm. listing price. Are we getting the valuations right? In some we are. In some we are. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> because the what's important here is, I think, and this is something like a name like Lulu and a name a company like this that is here for a long time and will continue to be here for a long time. It's important that you build this kind of the, um, the, the pricing and the returns have to be consistent. Americana, which I mentioned earlier, this came at 262. It was valued at about over 50 times PE based on the valuation profits of that time. And now it's about the valuation of 24 times PE, 25 times PE. It's not giving a good yield return compared to what other companies are, but it has grown in terms of profits. So there has to be the investors when we come to them with these kind of companies, we must leave room for growth in terms of profits so that so they participate in the upside and not to sell it at the top price of the or top range of the valuations and then go down. There are success stories there, but there are also their difficulties. I mean, for example, Inviscorp, one of the ones that we've seen come in October, it was the beginning of the, the, the war on Gaza, and then it, it really struggled to be able to maintain the, the listing price. But there are others. If their dividends justify, sorry, dividends and profits that justify the valuation going forward, then I think the market will be able to take it forward. The PE, average PE in Abu Dhabi today is about 19 times, and in Saudi Arabia is around the same range. 
So it's important when these companies come, they don't go higher than that, maybe go a bit lower and leave the market to take it up to that level with time as it lists in the market. Mohamed Ali Yassin is founder and CEO of the Oracle Financial Consultancy and Investment, speaking to us this morning about that Bloomberg report that Lulu is shopping for bankers for a potential IPO. Investments go up and investments go down. Before putting your hard-earned money into any investment, Dubai Eye 103.8 advises you to always do your own background research. Ensure you're informed to navigate the market and any potential pitfalls. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. As we were just reporting in the headlines, in fact, there's not a headlines, a business headlines or a headlines that we report any morning recently without a Saudi Arabia expansion story. Jumeirah opening its first hotel in the kingdom uh, is the news coming out this morning. A couple of big announcements yesterday, opera houses, theatres and more recently. It's all happening in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Uh, And Astrolabs are very much keeping uh, tabs on the market at the moment. The leading business expansion platform in the Gulf has released uh, its uh, very timely first of its kind 2023 Saudi market entry report uncovering the opportunities and challenges that companies encounter when entering and operating in Saudi Arabia. Uh, The man uh, whose team has put this one together is, of course, the director of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia expansion for Astrolabs. Alex Nichols has been kind enough to come into the studio and crunch the numbers with us. Morning, Alex. Morning, Tom. Good to see you, as always. Thanks very much indeed. Let's start with the headline news off the back of the report. And thank you for the report. Uh, Very timely, as I mentioned there. Uh, 4X in the headline. 4X since 2018. Yes. So what we've seen, so this is particularly around the companies actually looking and expanding into the kingdom. So what we have seen from 2018 is that uh, companies are now able to expand into the kingdom four times quicker than uh, what they used to be able to do. Uh, To give it some context, when we first started expanding companies back in 2017, uh, it would take companies about 8 to 12 months to get fully established in Saudi Arabia. That now is all the way down to around 8 to 10 weeks to get a company fully established. And fully established being with a bank account open and companies able to do business in KSA. So it is getting significantly easier to uh, expand into Saudi Arabia now. I want to delve it a bit deeper. Let's just take a quick step back, if we can, and get to the, how you put together this report. How did you come up with the figures? Uh, so, yeah, we got a survey. We, we uh, had about 660 companies uh, take part in this survey, and we focused on two different personas. There was the persona of companies looking to expand into the kingdom who haven't yet done it, and there was also the persona of companies that have already expanded into Saudi Arabia. The main reason for us wanting to do this survey was to really understand what is it that our customers or future customers are uh, facing challenges with, uh, and also the ones who had already gone into Saudi Arabia, what is it that they're now seeing on the ground when it comes to things like office space and hiring, uh, etc. Over two-thirds, as you mentioned, they're considering expanding operations to the market. Just under half of those prospective entrants planning to register their businesses within the next three to six months. Timeline-wise, it seems a little bit further down the line for me, but it seems that a lot of companies have got the ball rolling. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, looking at our data, uh, particularly in Q4 last year, we probably expanded as many companies in Q4 last year as we did in Q1, 2 and 3. 
Uh, so we're definitely now seeing this big, uh, big shift in where companies probably spent a couple of years considering Saudi Arabia to now realizing that actually now is the opportunity to really go uh, into KSA. Just on a quick one of that, have you seen a spike since January the 1st or the lead up to January the 1st? Reason being, obviously, we had that uh, directive from the Saudi government about businesses having a foothold in the country. Yeah, absolutely. So we saw, especially in Q4, I think uh, this 2024 deadline of working on government contracts really got the the fire under a lot of people to to get moving. Uh, And then we've seen that continue now in in January as well. Um, January, normally one of those months which could go either direction, but for us, it's uh, just growing and going up. Of those companies that you're seeing open up, what percentage of them are setting up what counts as a regional HQ? So uh, the majority are still setting up commercial entities. Uh, There's a lot more conversation happening around the regional headquarters. Not all of them qualify. You still need those uh, multiple branches around the world. And there's still other requirements which uh, may be uh, putting people off when it comes to things like number of C-level executives and number of employees needed. Um, However, the conversation has definitely increased uh, a lot. Does it fly in the face of some of the PI, PMI numbers that we've been reporting recently? Brandy, yeah, we were looking yesterday, and it has to be said, they showed growth, good growth um, in the kingdom for the, the private sector, but it was the slowest growth in two years. And in the forward-looking business sentiment um, section, because uh, it doesn't just look backwards, it was soft, and there was talk about sort of um, a, a lowering of, well, an increase of competition, um, an increase of costs. Um, and it was... One of our economists described it as a pause for breath, actually. No, that that is very interesting. Like from what we're seeing, at least with companies entering into Saudi Arabia, that is still very much on the on the increase. And when the uh, MISA Ministry of Investment Saudi Arabia report next comes out, uh, talking about 2023 numbers, I'm sure the license number of licensed companies will definitely be increasing. I think also when looking at those economic uh, data, I think one interesting fact we came across on the survey was around the uh, first employees and how quickly people are now hiring Saudi nationals. Okay. So when you're looking at the kind of unemployment uh, figures of Saudi Arabia, I think it was 50% of companies are now hiring their first Saudi national within one month of setting up the, uh, of the company, partly linked to the Saudiization quotas. Uh, but yeah, it was very interesting for us to, to see how quickly they're, uh, they're hiring now and hiring Saudi nationals themselves. How easy is it to find the office space that you need? Mm. Yeah, office space is difficult. It is expensive in uh, in Riyadh. We, we think it's expensive here in, in Dubai in, in certain places, but uh, in Riyadh there is still limited uh, limited choice for luxury uh, real estate and it's something that they are building up on. Uh, again, one thing we've seen is that I think over half of those businesses are looking to move into a private office within the first three to six months of expanding. It's one thing looking and it's another thing doing. I think from our experience, lots of companies still come in with that soft landing approach wanting that co-working space uh, option with that flexibility until they're fully uh, stable in the kingdom with a big team and then looking then to move on to a private office space. Saudi Arabia's achievements don't need us to, you know, we don't need to list those here. Um, and as your report suggests, great opportunity there. You'd be a fool as a business owner not to be looking to Saudi Arabia at the moment. But it comes with its own challenges. You just mentioned there the hiring the office space as well. Are there other unique challenges? So yeah, the biggest challenges that companies uh, or or spoke about facing were uh, hiring a team, Uh, again, finding the right talent for for their company or for their business can can still be a a challenge. Uh, Finding the real estate is obviously another. Um, Again, uh, when looking at winning business, uh, it's also another thing that people are 
uh, a challenge with in, in Saudi Arabia. Going to leave it there, Alex, but really appreciate the report. Thank you very much indeed. It's the first of its kind and the first of, I'm assuming, many to come in the future <laughs> as well. It's going to keep Alex busy. Alex Nichols is the director of Saudi expansion uh, for Astrolabs, who've just uh, published their first Saudi market entry report. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Let's get a bit more detail on one of our top stories this morning. The Dubai private jet company Vista saying it flew 87,000 flights light year. That is up 17% year on year and nearly double pre-pandemic levels. I'm delighted to say that the chairman and founder, Thomas Floor, joins us now live. Thomas, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. How are you? Really good. Thanks very much indeed, but probably not as good as you because that's a cracking set of numbers, isn't it? Talk to us, first of all, about the past 12 months or so. 17% increase or 18 increase in the number of flights and passengers. Yeah, it's uh, a very um, uh, satisfying year that we have behind us in 2023. We have seen growth in all continents. Uh, Middle East standing out. We had uh, 31% growth uh, in in the Middle East, obviously a a major hub for us. Uh, Also in the US, in in Europe and in Asia. So all across the world, um, we have now uh, over 300 aircraft We went through a massive aircraft refurbishment program in 2023. Uh, So you'll see more and more of these silver airplanes with a red stripe uh, on airports around the world. Now, you're not a listed company. You've released a a lot of data for the full year 2023. But as a private company, you've no obligation to release numbers like revenue or profitability. But what can you tell us uh, about the business? One would imagine that revenue is growing if passengers are up 17, 18 percent. What can you say about revenue or profitability, if anything? Sure. Um, Revenue is up in 2023. Profitability is up in 2023. Um, Our numbers are going to be finalized in March, so in in a good 30 days from now. And and we have publicly traded bonds out there. So for our bondholders, we will release our numbers in a a good month from now. But uh, the numbers that came through, the KPIs we are delivering to the market this morning uh, are the numbers we feel comfortable with already communicating. And um, as the first quarter of 2024 is shaping up, we see a trend continuing exactly along the lines of what we saw in 2023. And I think it's mainly due to our subscription program because the company is selling an alternative to full aircraft ownership. Remember, there's about 24,000 corporate jets in the world. Corporations are more and more shying away from full aircraft ownership and rather go for a subscription uh, than putting the asset on the balance sheet. So where do you stand now as a Dubai-based company in the ranking of, of what we would simplistically call private jet operating companies? I was trying to figure this out yesterday and looked at various lists and various different metrics. One number I had was you had 87,000 flights last year. Mm-hmm. NetJets is claiming 450,000 flights. But as you know, we can play with the statistics. In your words, where do you stand as Vista? Well, we believe that we have the only global infrastructure. This is a global business by nature. Nature. Airplanes fly in any in any continent into any destination, um, and so do our clients. Uh, our U.S. business is smaller than some of the U.S. fractional operators, but once you leave the U.S., we by far the number one. Um, long haul flying, we're the number one. Uh, connecting the continents around the world, 
We have the industry-leading Global 7500. Uh, I was on your show um, some uh, good 12 months ago. We talked about the 7500. That gives us close to 17 hours nonstop flying uh, on this aircraft. And uh, again, uh, when you look at the global distribution and global footprint and the infrastructure, uh, we're leading this industry. May I ask you about celebrities? Many of your clients will be celebrities. Of course, confidentiality is key. So you're not even going to begin to ask you uh, who they are. But have a listen to this, if you will. This is Taylor Swift. And over the past 24 hours, her lawyers have filed a legal injunction in the United States to try and stop a, a social media influencer who tracks not just Taylor Swift's private jets, but jets of many people. And I would guess some of them are, are your customers as well. This is what Taylor Swift has to say about privacy as a celebrity. Just a fact that when I'm outside the doors of my apartment, people are watching me. And that's the life that I chose. And you're okay with it? I have days where I am, days where I'm not. Most of the time I'm able to go through the mental exercise where I just say to myself, how many years did you want this? How many, how many years did you dream about this? How many times did you say to yourself that if you ever got famous, you would walk up to people in restaurants and introduce yourself if they were trying to take a picture of you? Of course, Taylor Swift's going to be jetting into Las Vegas shortly for the Super Bowl final. Her boyfriend is playing in that. What can you do with people like bloggers like Jack Sweeney tracking private jets around the world? What can you do to keep your clients private? Well, our clients are private, and I think this is one of the major driver of our businesses. Uh, very often, CEOs, chairmen, uh, they might be involved in, in some merchant acquisition uh, situations around the world, and they don't want to be tracked. And uh, uh, when you fly on Vista, your confidentiality, your passenger list is, of course, 100% safe and, and not public. And uh, that's one of the drivers of, of coming to Vista in our subscription program and using our fleet rather than owning your own airplane. So uh, the confidentiality and the privacy uh, is a big, big driver of our business on any continent. And as it relates to celebrities, we believe um, all of our clients are celebrities because in a way in their business, they're, they're leaders, they're the, they're the uh, global uh, either business entertainment or, or sports leaders. And uh, and I think they're valuing this confidentiality a lot. And uh, I think we're doing a pretty good job around the world with that, with that offering. Finally, Thomas, can I talk about the balance sheet? Yes, you've grown very, very quickly, more than 300 jets, but of course they don't come cheap. The Financial Times had a headline last year, the debt-fueled ascent of Thomas Floor's Vista jet. And it was interesting in your release that you quoted the chief financial officer talking about how you're managing your, your balance sheet and, and your liabilities. Just 30 seconds on that. What's the situation? Sure. Look, the company has always had a very strong financial health. We always financed our growth in a good combination between debt and equity. Um, we're now celebrating this year our 20-year anniversary, and we believe that the ratio between uh, uh, debt and equity, EBITDA, cash flows, etc., is in a very healthy state. And I think the proof is in the market, the uh, bond market that we approached uh, early uh, second quarter 2023, uh, we were oversubscribed by 2x. Uh, the rating agencies have upgraded us. 
And those are the real numbers because the rating agencies know what they're doing and they have a very good judgment. And Moody's had upgraded us on the news of the 2023, uh, 2022 numbers uh, in Q2 2023. Thomas, great speaking to you. Appreciate your time. I'm not going to ask you where in the world you are because you're a client as well as the owner of Vista. So that is confidential. <laughs> but next time you're back in DIFC where your headquarters is, let's grab a cup of coffee. But for now, congratulations on your 17, 18% growth last year. Thomas Floor is the founder of chairman of Vista Global Holdings. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. I'm going to take a look at how we all closed down our year in terms of travel in 2023. Middle East travel booking site WeGo uh, has crunched the numbers on the top travel destination for this region uh, or from this region for the final quarter. And on the back of our discussion with Alex of Astrolabs uh, about the drive he's seen uh, of businesses setting up in Saudi, I am going to completely steal the thunder of my next guest and say guess what country was top Mamoon Hamidan Chief Business Officer of WeGo it's lovely to have you thank you very much for having me good morning Saudi Arabia topping your list but not just for one month or even the quarter it's actually been uh, nearly two quarters seeing Saudi Arabia as a, as a top ranked destination as an inbound destination from the travelers from the from the region even globally um it's it's expected to be honest. I mean, we've been we've been seeing that sort of work tremendously being focused on building a new a new sort of destination within within the region, and uh, you know, be it for business, be it for uh, be it for religious travel, uh, mix between both. I mean, the Umrah the Umrah Plus uh, program kind of rolled out in a very nice way and worked worked beautifully for the for the kingdom. I wanted to say. With Saudi being your your top destination for travellers from the Middle East for the past six months, and you look at what people are are searching for as well as what they're booking, can you divide up how much of that is business travel, how much is pilgrimage, and how much is pure leisure tourism? Yeah, true. I mean, for for, for now, we can say around 50% is business. So we still see lots of business travel uh, to Saudi. Um, There is another... I would say 20 to 25% of the remaining 50%, half of them will be purely on Umrah trips. So people traveling to Mecca end up in staying in, in uh, traveling to Jeddah, staying in Mecca for a couple of days and uh, and come back. And the rest are actually whether mixed between Umrah and a few other days in, in other destinations within within Saudi or purely on tourism, be it for the, you know, the Riyadh season or some of the concerts or the events or whatever is happening there. Okay, and if we look at the the other destinations that we've got, Egypt, India, obviously, and we know from Paul Griffiths um, the the huge uh, contribution that Indian travel sure. in and out of Dubai makes to DXB. Were there any new trends at the end of last year? Any changes in our patterns? Yes, the, the noticeable changes. A, we're seeing more short haul than than long haul travel demand in the past uh, in the past pretty much twelve months, I'd say where you know people are more closer to going into short trips short destinations than long haul um, the noticeable thing is the uk is back as number one destination uh, within the european destinations um, after giving that spot to multiple other destinations i mean COVID and post-covid where basically georgia azerbaijan and some of the other countries kind of took over uh, the, the uk position now it is back as number one uh, Thailand is still unbeatable as a destination. Not simply, 
And that's kind of a trend that we started to see, you know, a couple of quarters ago. Russia is within the, the, the top 20 now and continuously growing. Uh, China, of course, is back into into the, the action as well. Uh, so, so generally, uh, within the region here, Egypt remains as one of the favorites. UAE is definitely keeping the, the rank, um, and Saudi is noticeable kind of a new new destination in the in the planning. So, one month down in 2024, how have we started off this year? Uh, actually. January this year is is quite strong compared to how usually uh, January is in, in in different years. I mean, usually January is kind of the you know dip within the seasonality uh, before the you know the, the spring break, Easter break, extra. But January this year noticeably uh, came with lots of demand. Uh, again, Saudi remains to be as a, as a top uh, destination on demand, followed by India, Pakistan, um, and UAE. Is the era of revenge travel that we saw coming out of COVID flights at any cost, um, those high prices not putting off, putting people off, is that finished? I would say so. I would say so. Yeah, I like to think so. I think I think it's over for the revenge travel as revenge travel. People took that that pattern. Um, Prices are not back to where it was before until now. I mean, Definitely, we're still seeing an increase. If you compare with 2019, we're still we're still seeing an increase of roughly 30 to 35 percent as a as a uh, extra cost of travel. But if you compare it with the with the 2022 prices uh, and 2023, it started to normalize that a bit and go back slightly before what we have seen around the, around those two years. So, I would say we will not see the same. Um, the same prices we used to see in 2019, but definitely we're not gonna we're not gonna remain where we were last year. Mamoun Hamidan is the chief business officer of WeGo in the studio this morning uh, to talk to us about how we finished last year in terms of travel. On the back of our conversation with Alex from Astrolabs a little bit earlier, um, many many planes leading to Saudi Arabia. Thank you very much for your time this morning. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on Dubai i one zero three eight dot com. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.